from the Duck South Studios in Morgan City, Mississippi. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. I want to punch you in the face so bad right now. This is the On The X podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. I didn't get a harumph out of that guy. Get the governor harumph. What we've got here is failure to communicate. This podcast is being brought to you by Joseph Presley at Four Corner Properties. Joseph Presley is the 2016 Recreational Real Estate Agent of the Year for Mississippi. If you are in the market for a piece of deer, turkey, or duck hunting property in Arkansas, Louisiana, or Mississippi, give Joseph a call. Joseph can be reached at 601-540-7240 or check out their website at www.4cplandandhomes.com. I said what I said and I'll stand by it to the death. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? And now, here are your hosts, J. Paul Jackson. They spent... Listen to this, $1 million on ads against me in Iowa. Now here's the good news. They use the best pictures. I look so good in those pictures. I'm trying to find where they got them. Rocky LaFleur. Yo, Adrian! Jake LaTundras. Where are you going? Going west. Gotta go west. And Josh Webb. You don't say much, do you? Welcome to the On The X Podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. Today I've got my buddy Rocky LaFleur with me. Of course, I'm Jay Paul Jackson, and it's just the two of us today, but I think we've still got a great podcast for you guys out there. And you know, sometimes it's fun to just hang out here in the uh, Duck South studios with my buddy Rocky, and just be me and you, buddy. You know, I've always said, since, since you and I have, started recording this podcast i said man we could if we could go back and record some of our past phone conversations they, they were podcasts <laughs> i mean that's, that's pretty much what it is anyway yeah you know the next time we have an argument we ought to just start recording it too just to give them real world stuff because you know the thing about being really good buddies is it's your friends and your family the people that you care about most that can get you the most pissed off so we definitely have had some pretty spirited conversations over the years too. But uh it's right. always, we always come back together. Amen. Always, buddy. Always. So, so tell me how hey. how's the goat showing world? <laughs> yeah, that's how I spent my Memorial Day. I drove all all the way to Memphis to pick up a prized goat. And <laughs> You know, most of the listeners that are listening to this, they're picking up prize labs or, what, you know, whatever they may be running or their hobby may be. But my kids, of course, we talked about this millions of times, are, are goats. <laughs> yeah, but you teach. You know, I'm going to tell you something, J. Paul. I've trained labs before, and a goat is pretty much the same as training a lab. Really? Yeah. Man, they are they are smart. A goat. You're being yeah. serious. You're not pulling my leg. I, I'm not kidding, man. I've got one that will heal right now that I trained last year. Wow. I'm not afraid of water. I would take her duck hunt. How smart she <laughs> is. That's really cool. Yeah, and I knew you trained him on leash, but I never really thought about that. But what do you do for Memorial Day? 
You know, we didn't do a whole lot. We uh, Friday we we uh, worked, and then Saturday we took my daughter to Nashville. She's at uh, Girl State um, this week, which is a real honor. Um, That's junior a huge girls. honor. Yep, she got selected for Girl State, so she's a delegate there. So we spent our Saturday in Nashville on the campus of Lipscomb University, which man, Rocky, it is gorgeous. It reminded me so much of the campus at Ole Miss. I mean, it is very beautiful. It and Oxford are two of the most beautiful campuses that I've been on. I was really surprised. And then um, Sunday I went fishing, and yesterday I actually worked. I trained dogs, and uh, then I mowed the yard. So um, we trained early this morning, my wife and I, and she's out there finishing. The, we mow seven acres, so I mowed half of it yesterday. She's on the mower mowing the other half today where I could be talking to you. Nah, I will say this, and I'm not going to go into great detail about it. Dumbest mistake of my life in my teenage years, one of the dumbest I ever made. All I'm sure the list is woman. long. Oh, yeah, I, I've got a two or three that absolutely horrendous decisions because of a teenage boy's dreams. You understand what that means, right? I understand exactly what that means, yes, sir. Uh, chosen to go to out of our our county that I grew up in was the only person chosen to go to Boy State, and I was so hung up on a good looking female that I passed on it. Man, dumbest oh. mis- one of the one of the dumbest mistakes of my life because all I could think about was uh, you know what. Yeah, couldn't spend a week away from her. Uh Uh-uh. Had that first (laughs) taste, buddy. Man, well, I tell you, Hannah, I'm pretty proud of I should shut up, man, if this gets forwarded. Now, I'm I'm moving forward because, Hannah, I'm very proud to say, not only is she there for a week, but bless her heart, her boyfriend, a delightful young man that I can't believe I've got a 17-year-old daughter that I actually don't mind her having a boyfriend because... He's such a good kid. But he was at Boys State last week. So not only, uh, unlike you, you couldn't leave for a week, they're not going to have seen each other basically for two weeks. He came home on, on uh, I'm sorry, on Sunday we took her to Boys State. On Saturday I fished. Um, he came home on Saturday. She got to see him for two hours. And then Sunday morning we took off for Girl State. So thank God my little girl's making better decisions than you did. <laughs> Uh, you know, I try to tell people if if people, if females, women between the ages of sixteen and twenty four could understand the way a boy's brain works at that point, <laughs> you know, their thinking is that that men and boys are you know supposed to act like girls at that point. Well, there's. There's two totally different mindsets there. Total, total polar opposites. Man, <laughs> no this, is, this is the last subject we need to be talking about. But anyway. Hey, remember, I've got three daughters, so I don't even want to hear about it. That's why I changed I've got two. I've got two that are coming up. And I, I, I remember well how a male brain works at that age. Oh, let me but, tell but, you hey, something. relationships are so different now because... Man, it used to be 
you know, when I was dating, and it, it even was big difference between you and I, 10 years. You know, when, when I was dating, you had, Area Calling had just came out, and it still costs money to call my girlfriend live, uh, what would be classified as long distance, and it still costs money. So you had your mom beating on the door, get off the phone. You know, you've been on it five minutes, get off the phone. And, and now, <laughs> I mean, you can video chat. It's like Across you're right the there with that person. Yeah. No, it was all long distance. Oh, my gosh. I can remember the first touch-tone telephone in our house going from the rotary dial, you know. And, and this is a phenomenon that only a baby boomer can really relate to. You might know a tiny bit about this, but I doubt it. The um, busy signal. Oh, I remember it well. You could. You, do you remember you could actually you could actually talk to somebody, random people, because if you got a busy signal, everybody else in your area code or in, on your local, I'm sorry, on your local exchange that was getting a busy signal, you were all linked up on the same open line. The teenagers used to uh, the busy signal was kind of like the internet. Uh, like chat rooms or like, uh, um, you know, Tinder or whatever now, <laughs> you can actually hook up through the busy signal. And I know there are people out there going, what the hell are you talking about? But do you know what I'm talking about, Rocky? Heck yeah, man. I know exactly, exactly what you're talking about. Yep, I hooked up with a couple of girls in high school thanks to the busy signal. But it is, man, it is a different world. And kids will do things. You know, um, with my youngest, I've had no troubles whatsoever. Luckily, my oldest um, really never, boys weren't a big issue. Um, my middle daughter, for me, was the uh, was the really, really tough one. And we got to get to talking about dogs and ducks. But I've never told you this story, I don't think, Rocky. So i got to share it with you. And thank God she doesn't listen to the podcast. But, you know, the kids are so much bolder. I mean. When you were uh, 17, would you have ever thought about asking a girl, particularly a girl that wasn't necessarily even your girlfriend, to send you naked pictures? No. I mean, no even... Way. Man, no and if way. my dad, had found, if I had him and my dad had found out about it, I would still be grounded today. I mean, he'd have beaten me within an inch of my life, and then he'd have kicked me right square in that inch, you know. But kids, I can remember uh, it, it was a uh, Saturday morning, and the kids had slept in like teenage kids do. And I'd been out working already, and I came in the house, and, and I noticed my daughter. She was, I think, 14 or 15 at the time, 17-year-old boy that liked her. She's sitting on the couch, and she is just texting furiously. I mean, you can just tell she's into it, you know, man. Her forehead's wrinkled. Her thumbs are going like crazy. Every now and then you'll see, a, you know, her expression change to a smile or something like that. And I'm like, huh. So I walk through the living room a couple of times, and this goes on for eight or ten minutes. And I don't know, something about her expression just said I needed to look at her phone. And now, the rule at our house has always been that with my kids, it's still this way today. Uh, it's my telephone. It's not yours. I pay the bill. I bought the damn thing. 
you're using it at my leisure. Okay? So if I ask you to see your phone, you hand it to me. If it's password protected, you dang well better tell me the password. So I said, give me your phone. So uh, she said, no. I said, okay, you just lost it for a week. If you want to make it too, keep on hanging on to it. Now I'm telling you again, give me your phone. So she hands me her phone. I start looking at the text messages. This little boy, I say little, like he was six foot three and 17 years old, is texting her, asking her what she's doing. She just got up. She's fixed to go take a shower. Send me pictures. And little son of a gun is, yes. And he's persistent. And while I'm, while I'm reading his text, she gets another one. Okay, well, if you don't want to send me one of you completely naked, just show them to me. And uh, Oh, my gosh. So I texted him back and said, sit tight. Where are you? Uh, he said, on the couch playing video games. She said, sit I said, sit tight for about 15 minutes. Don't text me. Just sit tight. And uh, I've never heard the details of this story. story. I've heard the very titled summary of this story. Nothing. I didn't know <laughs> the details of it. Go ahead. <laughs> Well, those of you that don't know me, what I drive, I drive a, uh, I drive a, a Chevy Duramax, four-door crew cab, diesel, black with a four-inch lift kit and twenties. You know, my kids call it my monster truck. Um, I don't know what possessed me to get this truck like this, but uh, this is one of those days where having a big jacked-up truck was really cool. So I jump in the truck. I take off across town. I pull. I jump the sidewalk, drive straight through the front yard, park my truck with my front bumper up against the front steps of this young man's house. And when I come crashing through the front door, he's still sitting on the couch playing video games with headphones on, and he is completely oblivious to my presence until I slam the door behind me. And you should have seen this kid's eyes. And I've got my daughter's phone in one hand and uh he tries to leap the couch because he knows what's coming and i pretty much snag him in midair and shove him up against the wall and with his butt up against the wall i take his head pin it down between his knees and his mom comes rushing into the room <laughs> and uh, she's like mr jackson what are you doing? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I said, why don't you ask Junior here what I'm doing here? And he's yelling and screaming, and he protests, like, I don't know, or get off me or something. I said, what did you say, you little SOB? You know exactly why I'm here. And let me tell you something, you little son of a bitch. You may only be 17 years old, but you're six foot tall, and if you're man enough to ask my baby for pictures of her naked, you're man enough for me to walk in here and stomp your ass. <laughs> wow. What, what, did his mom, what did his mom say? She said, you did what? And about that point, I, I let him up for, for air, and uh, he said, nothing, Mom. And I said, yep, he did. I got the phone right here. And without saying another word, she stepped across me, reared back, and slapped the piss out of him. <laughs> wow. And she'd still be hitting him probably if I hadn't stopped her. But anyway, she uh, 
she told me to go home and she'd take care of it. But yeah, hey, man, I mean, you know, <laughs> valuable lesson for all the listeners today. Look at your girl's hey, I, phones. I, yeah, man, I told him. I said, son, when you go to school Monday, you tell all those little SOBs that uh, her daddy is absolutely a raving lunatic, crazy, and I will kick your butt. <laughs> And I never had another problem after that. But anyhow, I thought you, you'd you get a big kick wow. out of that. True story. But <laughs> yeah, guys, let me tell you, if you've got daughters, I've got three of them, 17, 21, and 23. And I didn't have gray hair until I had a teenage girl. But the best advice I can give a daddy is you can't be strict enough. They'll thank you for it later. And monitor that phone, the Internet, Snapchat. In my opinion, it's the worst thing that ever happened. But you, you, Rocky, yours a little bitty. You got I mean, a lot like to look a, forward what to. What you're saying is you're not saying spy, but what you're saying no. is kind of like being a a factory manager. You just do a quality check every once in a while. Exactly. Hey, look, look at your work, and you know you and I are both self-employed, so we don't deal with this. But most people that have a job out there, you know, they've got a computer at work, and hey, you know, their their employer has access to every keystroke that they make, as well he should. It's the employer's computer. They're there on their time. You know, you know, when your minor child, who pays the phone bill? You do. You know, it's just a quality control thing. It's not spying. I, I've probably given my kids too much leeway sometimes, but, you know, I, you've got to be able, and don't be scared, because... Let me tell you, I think part of what's wrong with this world, that, that I know for a fact your mama and your daddy both beat your butt many times when you were a young man growing up, didn't they, Rocky? Oh, God. Many, many I mean, times. I've talked to your mother on the phone. I know that woman has backhanded you before or something equivalent to that anyway. <laughs> yeah, one of, those, one of the best stories ever told in this podcast is one of the nights you talked to my mother. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we we won't digress that? into that. Oh, I do. I sure do. <laughs> yeah, you didn't warn me that she was that you were talking to me on speakerphone where she could hear, and I, I let a four-letter word slip or two. And yeah, you were telling the story. <laughs> you were quoting, but anyway, hey, look. <laughs> let me ask you. Let me ask you this before we leave Memorial Day. Sure. Uh, are you a barbecue chicken rib or pulled pork guy? Uh, all of the above. What's your, I mean, choice, though. What's going on the grill? Well, last night, it's funny, on Memorial Day last night, I did chicken. Uh, actually, I did hot wings and leg quarters. Um, but my choice of uh, uh, eat, I love pulled pork, but I don't cook it well. Um, ribs. Ribs are my okay. deal. Normally, if I'm yep. doing something on the grill and I've got the time to do it right, and in my opinion, to do ribs right, you need to set aside about three hours, it's going to be ribs. Yep. Fall off the bone, make a total mess. Oh, my gosh, they're good. How about and, you? And, by, and by any means, I'm not saying that, that that is what Memorial Day is about because I, I've had family members that died in different wars. So, look, I don't think that... I, I I try to honor veterans and people that have 
lost their lives in Memorial Day, and I'm not saying that that what's Memorial Day. So before you start sending Facebook messages or statuses or whatever, text to J. Paul and I, that's not what Memorial Day is about. We both know that. We both try to honor those that have fought for our freedoms. So, Amen. But so I, I mean, by any means, I, I wasn't saying that that's what Memorial Day is about with with barbecue and celebration, blah blah blah. But anyway, I just I, I didn't know what kind. I didn't know if you were a rib guy, chicken guy. I love barbecue. I love leg quarters on July the fourth. Favorite mm-hmm. food. Favorite mm-hmm. food. But 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 I had some ribs Sunday, man. Holy moly! Who made them? Oh, they were good. Uh, my father-in-law. Did you cook them? No, father-in-law. He he makes some of the best ribs I've ever eaten. And wow! I, whenever whenever he cooks them, I do not mind going over to his house to help him eat them. <laughs> so, look, let me yeah. ask you one more question. Look, I've got two questions for you, Dan. I know you're going to talk about uh, dogs in just a minute too, but let me ask you this: coleslaw or potato salad? Coleslaw. I mean, I make they're my- laying. They're laying on the table beside each other. Coleslaw. Well, it depends on who made it. All right. If it's are my mother-in-law's mutt, you... potato salad, my mother-in-law's potato salad, I'll, I'll, I'll hit it pretty doggone quick, too. But as a general rule, uh, coleslaw. I mean, you are definitely a foodie guy to be asking these questions to, and that's why I'm doing this, On you know, because you got unbelievable cook, unbelievable recipes. Let me ask you this. Potato salad, if you chose it, let's put two of them beside each other. Mustard potato salad or sour cream potato salad? Oh, mayo and sour cream. Uh, I like, I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm a mayo sour cream kind of guy. Bacon, I like that loaded, but I love that loaded potato salad. Oh, yeah. Me too. Me too. My wife does it. She, she, she fries the bacon and crumbles it up in there. All right, so look. I am a foodie, but I'm by no means a chef. But I will give you, I'll give you guys a really, really uh, quick recipe. Uh, talk about a great Fourth uh, of July to go with those ribs or with those leg quarters. Uh, doesn't matter whether you do potato salad or coleslaw or both. You got to do some baked beans, and probably one of my favorites uh, recipe that I actually picked up from a buddy of mine he takes his baked beans and and he uses um bush's original but he takes the baked beans and dumps them out of the can into a strainer and actually strains the sauce that they come in off of them and while that's draining off of them he takes literally just a handful maybe a quarter pound or less of hamburger meat and um and two or three strips of bacon that he's cut up into little lardons, and he sautés those in an iron skillet, cooks up that hamburger meat and those bacon lardons, and just before they're done, he takes a little bit of Idalia onion and a little bit of uh, sweet bell pepper that he's chopped up and throws in that skillet and lets them cook uh, in the juices and fat that's been released from that hamburger meat and those two or three strips of bacon all cut up. And uh, then when that's all ready, he comes back, adds his beans on top of that, and whatever your favorite, um, in his case, Sweet Baby Ray's 
barbecue sauce. I, I happen to like that pretty good, although I like good old Kraft Original, believe it or not. Uh, adds his own barbecue sauce back to that skillet, mixes it all up together, throws some whole bacon strips on top of it, throws it in the oven at 350 for about 30 minutes to bake them. Man, you're talking about some meaty. You could make a meal out of those beans by themselves, but they go perfectly with that coleslaw and whatever barbecue, whether it's ribs or pulled pork or even leg quarters. Talk about an easy way to really make your baked beans sing. There's a good one for you, Rocky. Uh, i tell you what. July the 4th, we'll talk some more about barbecue sauce. Yeah, I can talk about barbecue <laughs> sauce a long time. Hey, let's just look, get together July 4th, do a live podcast at your place or mine and cook up some stuff. I don't know if you want to cook at mine. Well, you might need be to pretty, come here. Yeah, the Duck South Studios has moved to Oxford, and it's, it's pretty crowded. <laughs> Guys, for those of you listening, Rocky is living with three children and his wife in probably a 1,200-square-foot, two-bedroom townhouse. That has got to be something, Rock. Yeah, it's pretty crowded. But <laughs> Hey, look, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Let's go to duck cutting. All um, right, buddy. Our, our, I'm not going to sit here and say I wrote a couple of, art- couple of articles last week for Duck South, but I did a couple of articles by using the expert advice from the people on the site because there's some really, really smart people on DuckSouth.com. Um, if you're not a member, you listen to this podcast, join Duck South uh, or join our Facebook group. A lot of good conversations going there. But these two can cover you pretty well, J. Paul, because you can give great answers to these. First question. Guy asked, what is the best um, travel case or shotgun when you're when you're traveling on an airline? What is the best case to use uh, for your shotgun on an airline? Well, obviously, you've got to use a lockable hard case. Um, if you're going on to an airline. But um, my personal favorite uh, is Pelican, which, you know, they make great camera cases. They're watertight, all kinds of cases. Pelican makes a two-gun rolling hard gun case that I really, really like. It is indestructible It uh, because it's hard plastic and not metal. You see a lot of guys that, that have the aluminum ones. Um, you know, they dent. They can get banged up. They're very safe. But uh, I like the I like the Pelican uh, or similar hard plastic lockable watertight gun case. Here's a caveat for you though: with any of the gun cases for airlines that are watertight, um, most of them do have a um, oh gosh, I mean it's a, a valve basically. I'm not. I'm, you may be able to help me here, Rocky. I'm searching for the right word, but it'll let air into them. And you want to make sure that that is open, because if there's if you seal that gun up in there in a watertight case, and there's moisture in there, it is trapped inside. And so you know you can uh, get some rust on the finish of your gun. Um, you want to make sure that that. Your case is nice and dry when you put your gun in there, and you want the ventilation. There are vents on it. I'm sorry. That's the word I was looking for. You want to make sure that you've got uh, that case ventilated where 
no moisture is trapped inside of it. I, I didn't even Hopefully think about the pelican. When I, when I was putting that piece together with everybody else's advice, I didn't even think about the pelican uh, case. That, man, they, for, for cameras, video equipment, um, anything needs to be protected. God, the, the, that pelican case is unbelievable. They're, they're a little bit expensive now. But and, and actually, the last one I it. bought. Yeah, I'll put a little plug in here for a, for a, a local company, a Tennessee-based company, also um, Yukon Outfitters. You can check out their website at yukonoutfitters.com and their tactical gear. Yukon Outfitters has a Pelican case style uh, gun case with wheels on it, a rolling one. That's the last one that I bought, and it's probably my favorite of all because of the price point that it comes in at. I'll tell you this, the last time I traveled with a shotgun, and and this is a little bit, I'm not going to, it's a little bit off subject of recommending a gun case to travel with, but a valuable lesson that I learned the last time I traveled with a gun was I had a case, um, I, was, I, was, I was leaving UJ Paul in Salt Lake. I left a day early. But anyway, I left um, Memphis to Salt Lake. And I had one lock right in the center of my case. Now, my gun case had three lock places where you could mm-hmm. put three locks. Well, they didn't say anything to me in Memphis about it. But when I was turning around and coming back from Salt Lake, man, I didn't notice it, but you could open that case. Well, I, had the, I had the middle locked, and you could yep. almost open the case just a little bit on the ends, enough to pull the, almost pull the gun out. And I think you could. I, to, I remember that. And I had to go buy two locks, put on those end locks, and those things aren't cheap in an airport at all. No, they are not. Yeah, here's another piece of advice, too, for guys, because we've been talking a lot. I mean, we had uh, Tony on here from Alaska the other day, and uh, we're fixing to have a couple more guests from out west. Uh, some of you guys that listen to this that may take our advice and go to some of these exotic destinations this year. If you're flying with a gun, be sure to read the FAA regulations and give yourself an additional 20 or 30 minutes at the airport before your flight for checking that gun in. Because at a lot of airports, um, you cannot check your gun at the regular baggage uh, area. You've got to go to a TSA special designated area. So be sure and leave yourself a little bit of extra time. We ran into that, uh, I think it was you and I in Salt Lake, where you had to go halfway across the airport to get to where they checked in your guns. You couldn't do it a regular baggage check. Yeah. Uh, I I will say this. When when picking out a gun case, don't go cheap. And this is from experience of having tons of guys fly in that I was guiding. I have seen some seriously damaged, gun cases that were only able to be used with that one time. Amen. The $40 lockable gun case at Dick's that you think is such a great buy, it's a great buy because this is disposable. It's a throwaway. It's like a Bic razor, you know? Yeah. It's made to shave a couple times with and throw away. That's not what you want to use to protect your gun when you fly. That's great advice, Rocky. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Two of the most throwaway things that I've thrown away at Mossy Island Outfitters from clients that 
that had to leave them behind was number one waiters because you know people snag stuff on waiters all the time, tear them, and when they're not taking torn up waiters back home. But the other thing that would shock you if if we weren't talking about it would be gun cases, broken gun yeah. cases. I don't I don't know how many gun cases that I've hauled off to the dump because they were damaged, you know, going through TSA or, oh, you know, the, the the luggage people at the airport. Yeah, amen, amen. All right, you said you had two questions. What's number two? All right, number two, what is, this is another one that I thought was some really good advice from people on Duck South. What's the best way to conceal a pit blind Um you know, when duck or goose hunting? Well, you know, man, I'll tell you what, I've hunted out of just about every configuration imaginable from roll-top pits to pits with uh, uh, panels on them that you just move out of the way to pits with hinged uh, hog wire uh, panels with uh, fast grass or other native material on them to one pit that I, I hunt out of up in the Boot Hill, Missouri, has... It's similar to a roll top, except each individual shooting hole has a square, and the square, how do I describe this? On one corner, it has a post that goes in the ground, and it actually swivels or pivots around on that on that post. And I really like that because you can just turn it to the side just a little bit, and peek out of it. Um, I will tell you, my favorite pit blind panel or way to conceal them, particularly if it's in a rice field, is to take uh, the hinged panels that kind of meet at the top um, like a teepee, you know, fold in against each other and and take those and uh, brush them not with fast grass, but with rice stubble from that very field. Because that's yeah. going to give you the most natural vegetation, pardon me, the most natural vegetation or camouflage covering it. It's going to fit in the best. I like to uh, put my pits in in the rice levees themselves. I just think a pit in a levee fits in far better than one stuck out in the middle of the pit, no matter how you conceal it. And the best way I think to conceal a pit is with panels that you can open up to either side that you brush in with vegetation from that field. You know, some of the outside of rice fields and concealing them with the, the rice double that's around pit blinds, you know, in these rice fields, some of the best concealment that I've ever seen with, with pit blinds and blinds, kind of like we're talking about, or these people like on real foot lake, man, those things are on. They're like stealth mode. They're unbelievable. They just look like a big beaver hut sitting there. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, and those are blinds, not pits. But for you guys that have never been to real foot, uh, real foot lake is a very shallow, very large, a very shallow lake formed by the earthquake of eighteen twelve, and it is full of cypress. Cypress trees are the most dominant um, feature of the lake. It's basically a, a huge, beautiful, pretty wide open in most places, cypress swamp. 
But but most of the guys at Real Foot Lake brush their blinds with white oak. They take white oak limbs in the fall after the leaves have died or right before the leaves uh, have died when they're starting to turn. They trim them off of these trees, and then they brush their blinds with them. And done right when they get done, all it is is just a huge brush pile that, you know, looks like a, a beaver hut with leaves. I mean, you're right, Rocky. Brushed in, man, those blinds, even the ones out in open water, if you didn't know it was a blind, you wouldn't know it was a blind. I mean, and ones that are really well concealed against tree lines and, and places like that, I mean, they make them disappear. Some guys, when they're in the grass, brush them in, in, in native grass, and dude, looks like a muskrat hut. They can flat out make those things disappear and blend perfectly in. And again, but, you know, but, that's where native but, vegetation. But aren't some of them hit uh, blind esque because they have these lower rooms in them where where people are cooking down below these blinds? Well, all right. So what you're talking about are the barge style blinds, and there are guys up in this area of the country. Uh, I know two or three of them, um, David Milner, um, Mr. Joe. I cannot think of Mr. Joe's last name, but there are two or three guys. Tom White was one with welding shops that build low-profile real foot lake blinds. And uh, these blinds, you're right, Rocky, they are like a, a floating blind meets a pit because they take a steel hull they build a barge. If you've ever seen a barge on the Mississippi River, they are very low in the water, very low in the water, because the cargo hold is actually the floor of the boat, and they will uh, make these steel barges that they add walls to and a shooting platform to, and that becomes a duck blind. So you're actually... When you're standing in the blind, unlike most floating blinds that are on pontoons or barrels where the shooting platform, when you're standing on it, your feet are 8, 10, 12, 16 inches above the water level. In these low-profile floating blinds, your feet, uh, the sole of your shoe, boot is actually going to be 8, 10, 12 inches below the water line. So they're floating very low in the water. And, man, they are great. And I know, guys, you talk about Real Foot Lake, but, you know, that's where uh, they started at. But there are a lot of guys hunting in other areas all around West Tennessee and now even the Boot Hill, Missouri, and Northeast Arkansas that are hunting out of uh, these blinds. Yeah, I've oh. actually done a couple of episodes that uh, are, um, you know, filmed in those style blinds, and they're really, really neat. I'm trying to think uh, of the gentleman's name that does this full time. I think I've got it here in my phone. Let me see if I can find it for you. Joe McBride. Anybody that'd like to check out one of those, contact Mr. Joe McBride uh, up in Ridgely, Tennessee, at McBride Welding, and uh, pretty doggone neat those blinds. I'll try to get you a picture for the website. I, I've, I've always thought they were pretty cool. You know, you stand up there hunting and 
then down below, everybody's standing there hunting. There's cooking going on. <laughs> yeah, almost all of them have a kitchen in them, and a lot of them have an elevated platform for shooting. Some don't. Uh, most do. Uh, that does raise you up just a little bit. And uh, you, do you know why that design became popular on Real Foot? By the way, Rocky, a little trivia for you. The wheels are turning in your head. You still there, Rocky? Yes. You know why that style blind became popular? Besides being low profile. No, I don't. Because at Real Foot Lake, we've talked about this before, at one point, and it's become much more civilized, but there was a time when when blind burning was a tradition and an art form almost. You know, guys uh, that had that rivaled one another, you know, you'd have a guy who had a blind sight and another guy down the way from him, maybe he felt like that, you know, one guy got offended, thought the other guy was shooting his ducks on the swing or whatever and, you know, they'd come in and they'd burn their blind. And usually if a guy gets pissed off during duck season and decides to burn another guy's blind, he doesn't do it right then. It usually happens the night uh, or two nights before opening day where you don't have time to come in and rebuild it and get to hunt. But because blind burning, you know, is such a big deal and was such a prevalent um, malicious practice on the lake, guys in the beginning started taking steel tanks, usually uh, reclaimed gas or diesel tanks, um, and utilizing those as bloods because you couldn't destroy them, you know, because they were made of steel. And, of course, there are a lot of drawbacks to those big steel tanks also. And then, um, and, and I credit Mr. Joe McBride for this. Other folks say it was, you know, different people. But uh, Mr. McBride, 20, 30 years ago, decided, hey, you know what? I'm going to build a blind that those suckers can't burn. I'll build it out of steel. So he started uh, welding these low-profile barge blinds, and they took hold because if your neighbor got pissed off at you and decided he was going to burn you out, he might be able to burn all the all the uh, brush off the outside of it, but he wasn't going to burn it up because steel doesn't burn. And you cannot, uh, you know, those things, they sit low down in the water. Um, a lot of them are lockable. Uh, Mr. Joe's own personal blind that I've hunted with him out of has um, – panels on hinges that you can flip over to close up the shooting holes and you can actually uh, padlock them in place to make it where you can't break into that blind and you can't burn it down. So People really burnt other punters' blinds up? Just burn them up? You've never heard about it? I thought we talked about it on here. A little bit, but I mean, for, oh my for, dumb, gosh. for dumb people like me, why? Uh, you know, man, jealousy, uh, get mad. Um, you know, all right, so today at Real Foot, if uh, you can no longer register a blind, uh, I'm sorry, you can still register a blind, keep a blind registered in your name, but you can no longer transfer it. So, Rocky, um, and for those of you guys who aren't familiar with Real Foot, Real Foot Lake is public. It is owned by the state of Tennessee and part of it by the federal government. 
It is public waters, but it is one of the few public lands left in the country where you can have a private blind. And my grandfather owned a boat dock and guided on real foot. When I was a little kid, uh, my granddaddy, my uncle, several of our family members, they all had blinds. You could pick a spot at real foot. And back in the day, in the 30s and 40s, 20s, 30s, 40s, go out there and build a blind. Well, um, like anything that state-owned, eventually regulations came into play, and uh, they put in rules about new blind sites. They had to be X yards apart, and you had to register your blind every year. And if you failed to register it, then it became available for someone else to claim. Or uh, you could sell your blind. If I owned a blind on the lake and it was registered in my name and I was tired of hunting, I could say, hey, Rocky, you know, give me $3,000 and I'll sell you this blind site. And but that didn't uh, happen often. It happened a lot, you know. Really? But, it, I mean, blinds went for big money. I mean, you know, back in the 60s, $10,000 for a blind, I mean, that was huge money. That was so a sure, but, Yeah. Yes, sir. When my grandfather, when my grandfather sold his boat dock, uh, he didn't make his money selling the boat dock. He sold his uh, his number two blind and took that money and paid cash for his new home. It's paid for the day he got it by by a duck dang duck blind. How about that? So wow. You know, but then you'd, you'd uh, later on down the road. Uh, a few years ago, um, they said, said okay, uh, we'll grandfather in all the existing blinds, and you've got until this time next year, if you want to transfer that blind into somebody else's name, uh, to put it in their name, and after that drop-dead date, you can no longer transfer your blind. So a lot of people, guys, went out. You know, you're, you're our age, you know, you're... 40, 50 years old, uh, they'd go out, you know, 55-year-old man who maybe had a, a new one-year-old grandson. During that period, he put the blind in that grandson's name, you know, to, to get hopefully 60, 70 more years out of it. But whenever that person dies, today, when that person dies, that blind becomes the property of the state. And they do one of two things with it. Um, if they feel like it is too close to a neighboring blind, they just demolish it. But a lot of those blind sites go from private ownership when that happens to state ownership, and they go into the draw pool. Well, you know, there are families out there, hey, you know, Uncle Joe died, and and you know, the blind's no longer our family blind. I'll be danged if I'm going to let some Yahoo who draws it on the first Saturday in August, get that blind, they'll go in there before duck season and they'll burn that sucker to the water line. Yes, sir, you better believe it. Or maybe you maybe you're hunting and your neighbor uh you know, you've been hunting next to a guy for twenty years and something changes in his life, but he's still alive and he gives that blind to somebody else or leases it. That person, you don't like them, you don't want them to have it, whatever. They'll go in there and burn that blind in a heartbeat. 
I mean, I've known of guys that had great blinds that were good guys. Somebody got pissed off because they thought they were killing too many ducks. Yes, sir, to this day, Rocky, I guarantee you there will be not not so many as before, but in, in 2017, this fall, somebody, probably two or three people on that lake will lose a blind because somebody else will burn it. <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah, there's a lot of history of Real Foot Lake. There have been books written uh, about it. Um, there was a group on the lake uh, back at the turn of the 20th century called the Night Riders, and they have a very, very colorful history at Real Foot Lake. I won't talk about it here, but um, some people uh, say that they were forerunners or, or um, similar to the KKK, although I, I think that if you read the history, you'll see there are some pretty fundamental differences between the Night Riders and, and Klansmen. Um, Different, different breed, but yeah, a lot of uh, there have been people that died at Real Foot Lake over duck hunting and duck hunting rights. I'll tell you this: two of the most interesting videos I've ever seen in my life came from Real Foot Lake. Number one, I guess it was on Whistling Wings back in the late '90s, early 2000s. They filmed with a guy that was a game warden. Um, <laughs> He's a guide there on the lake now. Yeah, yeah, he was a guide back then, but he was a game warden too. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was one of the most interesting things I ever saw, because back then, it must have been the early 2000s, because that's about the time that uh, spinning wing decoys came out. But this guy, man, it's the most. it was the most unbelievable thing as a, as a duck hunter that, when all these mechanical items were coming out for duck hunting to see. I mean, this guy had spinning wing decoys hanging from the trees. He had them in the water. I mean, he had motorized jerk strings that were going everywhere. It, it, it was crazy. Ronnie Caps. Absolutely nuts. Uh, His yeah. name is Ronnie Caps. Ronnie's still a game warden, and I believe he's the area manager at the lake now. And Ronnie's blind uh, would shoot 24 people. Um, it is made out of, hey, speaking of, so that blind that those guys were filming out of with the ducks on wires, the mechanical ducks coming out of the trees and and uh, on the duck fang track swimming through it, Ronnie's blind is actually made out of a giant steel gas tank that Ronnie floated in there. And um, that blind, Ronnie... At the, They've been so successful and had so many people come and film stuff that uh, after having two blinds burnt and one blind blown up with dynamite, he brought in that huge steel tank where they couldn't burn it. So there you go. One of the the blind that you're talking about, Rocky, is today a steel blind because he got burnt out so many times. And he was he is a game warden, and he's been burnt out. Wow. Matter of fact, Mr. Bob Holmes uh, took to the week before duck season for two or three years in a row. He just would move into the blind and live in it, sleeping there every night. And uh, he actually, once they set it on fire, unknowingly or tried to set it on fire with Mr. Bob inside of the blind itself. (laughs) Yeah, and guys, I'll tell you what, if you want to see another really cool one, 
on Real Foot Lake, go to YouTube and do a YouTube search for Pirates of Real Foot Lake. I'm not going to tell you what it's about. I'll just let you check it out. Well, that's, but, uh, I don't know if this is concerning what you just said, but the other really, really cool video that I've seen uh, come off of Real Foot Lake was the guy that was dressed up as Santa skiing through the duck blinds. <laughs> yep. Yep. Same deal. Same deal. I believe it that's Pirates. Tell us how many views that video had. Yep. You've got Pirates of, Pirates of Real Foot Lake Extreme 1 and Extreme 2. I believe number 1 is uh, Santa Claus. I believe number 2 is Viking. But you guys have to check it out. I actually know those guys, too. I get a laugh every time I see that. <laughs> hey, I don't, I don't think we should leave it. Let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Don't leave this real foot topic for a second. Sure. Over, over the past 10 years, especially here in Mississippi, duck hunting has changed so much. But as far as real foot and being right there in your backyard, what what has that hunting been over the past 10 years? You know, it's funny because Realfoot had a really great early season this year. We had such low water all around. And, you know, we talked about it in the uh, uh, in the podcast with the duck forecast. Realfoot did really good early in the year because, with I mean, that lake always has water. You know, it's never going to go completely dry. It's come close because it's so shallow, but it's never completely dry. So they really benefited by the very dry fall this year. And... <clears throat> Pardon me, you know, when, you, when, when you say shallow, how shallow? Oh, I mean, there are big expanses of the lake where the deepest spot on would be six foot deep. I, I think the average depth of the lake is like 38 inches or something like that. Whoa. No, it's really? very, very shallow. Champy's Pocket is the deepest area of the lake. And, uh, and there are still areas even there where, you know, you I mean, it, there are still boat lanes that are marked where you don't dare run wide open with an outboard outside that lane or you'll knock the whole unit off your boat. Yeah, it's very shallow. Wow. I mean, it seemed like this thing would dry up fast. I mean, you had a really, really dry summer. It'd get close to drying up, wouldn't it? Well, I mean, there are areas that do, but, man, it's expansive. And I could Google it while we're talking. I don't really want to do that, but i tell you how many square miles the lake is. But, uh you know, hey, let me ask you this. These places that do dry up, I mean, I bet they get some really, really natural food for ducks. The places that oh, it's do. Great. Yeah, I was going to say, I bet it's unbelievable. Listen, it's good for the lake. Drought years are great for any type. Look at the breaks there uh, next to your old camp in Morgan City. I mean, around Itabina and, and Morgan City and Belzona and Greenville. All those breaks are healthier. Um, well, it's like the podcast that we talked about uh, in our podcast about the state of Arkansas and get, you know taking a look at the way that they flood up their their GTRs, their green timber reservoirs. Um, any shallow um, riparian area or swamp type area benefits from droughts, and a lot of people think that's crazy. But here's the deal. In a cypress swamp, in order for decomp to occur, sunlight and oxygen has to get to that lake bed at some point. If you've got a shallow swamp that has 
um, lily pads, let's say. They're great aquatic vegetation. Lily pads are great because they provide cover for crappie and brim and bass to spawn in in the spring um, in those shallow areas. The shade they provide helps keep the water temperature lower so you don't have the lake turn over as frequently. I mean, vegetation like that is essential for the lake. But what happens when a lily pad dies? In the wintertime, once you get a frost, lily pads die and they sink to the bottom um, of the area that they cover, the bottom of the swamp. A lot of real foot lake is covered in lily pads. In the winter, when they die and sink to the bottom, they just lay there. And in order for true decomposition in the best way to occur, you've got to get sunlight and you've got to get oxygen to those shallow water areas. So if the water stays static at a constant level in a swamp, I mean, it'll continue to live, but the overall health is eventually going to deteriorate. When you have those drought years and you have vast areas that get exposed to sunlight and oxygen that normally don't get those, the dead vegetation, the organic matter on the bottom it gets to decompose the way nature intends for it to. You know, what do we do with the compost pile? Hey, we, we, you know, compost, decomposing organic material is the best fertilizer that there is out there. So it's great for the health of the lake. You want it to go in cycles. When we have drought years, you can bet within two or three years, you're going to see crappie, brim, bass really doing well because the vegetation decomposes when it decomposes it fertilizes the bottom of that lake it provides food for the uh single-celled organism the invertebrates that in turn uh larger um, um organisms feed on the crustaceans the minnows right on up the food chain to to the brim and the perch which you know feed the bass you know, so it's good for the health that, of that lake. Yeah, I mean, I had no idea that that thing was that shallow. I mean, so six foot is the deepest part. No, it's not the deepest part, but that's deep. Hang on, I'm going to look it up while we talk. And real foot, man, if you've never been there, even if you never intend to go hunting there, um, maybe we could find some stuff for the website. It It really is a unique uh, habitat, not just for duck hunting. I mean, you know, crappie fishing is legendary. On real foot? On real foot, oh, yeah. You know what's funny? Um, I'll tell you a true story uh, about real foot. So for years, you had commercial fishing on real foot lake, and, and real foot was such a prolific producer as a crappie fishery, it was one of the last places in the United States that you could still commercially harvest and sell crappie, which are a game fish. Now, you can't do it there anymore, but commercial fishing on real foot uh, is still a big, big deal for, for a catfish. And you're, um, you're real close. Average depth is five and a half foot. And 5.2 feet. There's a spot that's 18 foot deep, deepest spot in real foot. Yep. 
Lake has approximately 13,000, 13, I'm sorry, covers 13,000 acres. So it's pretty doggone sizable with an average depth of uh, 5.2 feet. Uh, listen wow. to this, Rocky. Goes right back to what I was just saying. Due to the shallow, fertile water and the abundance of natural cover, real food is one of the world's greatest natural fish hatcheries. There you go. And real foot was caused by. Do, do they do they know the age of real foot lake? Was it caused sure. by the, the 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 earthquake that caused the Mississippi River to flow backwards? Actually, the formation of real foot lake caused the Mississippi River to flow backwards. It was caused by the real by the uh, earthquakes in 1811 and 1812, and at that time the area was inhabited by Native Americans largely uninhabited by white people, mainly Native Americans. And um, I live on the New Madrid fault line, which uh, it, and it is the largest, I believe, fault line in North America. It and the San Andreas, which is in California. Uh, San Andreas fault line is more active, but the New Madrid is, is the most volatile and largest. And what I mean by that is, has the uh, greatest potential for uh, huge plate movement. And in 1811, 1812, there was an earthquake. Also, by the way, the St. Francis sunken lands in Arkansas um, were formed by the same series of earthquakes. And uh, a huge area, <laughs> I guess around 13,000 acres, uh, sunk adjacent to the Mississippi River. There was an area where a plate shifted and the uh, surface of the earth dropped several feet over a huge area. And have ever, this hey, hey, let me ask you this. Have they ever estimated how big that earthquake was? I know, you know, we measured on the Richter scale now. What, what, how big was that earthquake back then? I want to say a 6.5. I don't know. Look it up. You got Google right there. But go ahead. Hey, anyway, go ahead with your go ahead with your story, and I'm gonna look it up. All right. So, um, a huge area there in Northwest Tennessee sunk suddenly, and when when it dropped so suddenly, the actual ground level of that area dropped below the water level of the Mississippi River, and it was such a huge, expansive area that the Mississippi started to flood it and the draw that it pulled to flood this area actually caused the the river between Northwest Tennessee and uh, either Natchez or Vicksburg uh, to not only did, did the come to a standstill, but it flowed backward all the way down to near Baton Rouge, um, whatever the nearest port to Baton Rouge is in Mississippi, from there flowed backward to backfill this area. I don't think it got all the way down, flowed backward all the way down to the Gulf, but for several hundred miles down the river, the Mississippi River uh, flowed backward to backfill the lake. Do you know where it gets its name, Rocky? Real foot. Yeah, don't Google it. 
No, I don't. Chief Realfoot. So, uh, the creation of the lake occurred because of the because of the earthquake, but local legend has it, and I'm not googling this, Rocky. I know this uh, from childhood because as a kid, you there are several really really famous restaurants uh, at Realfoot. There was uh, Martha Parker's, and there was Lakeview Dining Room, which is still there. There's Blue Bank, which is still there. There is a restaurant called Boyette's that the Boyd family still operates to this day. So there were several, um, there are several great fish houses around Realfoot Lake. And almost all of these restaurants uh, on their placemats have the history of the lake that you can read about either in your menu or on the wall or on the place, Matt. And so when I was a little boy and we'd go over to, to Blue Bank to eat on Sunday afternoon, a lot of times after church, you know, it was or, or on a Friday night, I was fascinated by reading the legend of Real Foot Lake. And so here it is. Uh, the legend is that there was an Indian chief named Real Foot, and he was caused called real foot because he was born with a deformed leg and because of his deformity when he walked instead of bending his leg at the knee he instead threw his foot out because apparently he couldn't bend his knee and threw his foot out and made a big circle with it to take the next step and he walked with a reeling motion to his foot so they called him chief real foot well Realfoot fell in love with an Indian maiden who was the daughter of the chief of the native neighboring tribe and um, across the river. And he asked the, the chief of that tribe to let him have this maiden's hand in marriage to become, you know, his princess or, or his, his bride as chief. And uh, despite the... Uh, really generous dowry and all the gifts that he offered to bestow on this tribe, the other chief uh, denied him her hand in marriage because of his deformity. Well, uh, Realfoot uh, was obviously offended by this, and he decided that if he wasn't going to give her to him, he'd just take her. So Chief Realfoot and his warriors raided this neighboring tribe, and he kidnapped this maiden and killed a bunch of the warriors of that tribe. Well, the kidnapping angered the Indian gods, and so the gods, uh, in their wrath against Realfoot, caused this earthquake to swallow up the ground that Realfoot and his tribe lived on, flooding it all out and killing them in the process. And that is the legend of the formation of Real Foot Lake. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and worthless trivia, but anyway, I thought you guys might be interested in knowing how it was formed. And if you do go there, be sure and stop by Lakeview or Boyette's or Blue Bank Fish House. And I'm sure somewhere in every one of those places you can read the legend of Real Foot Lake. And, of course, you can find it, I'm sure, on the Internet now. Man, right, and we so, didn't even so, get to dogs. Let's save that for next go round. 
Hey, you, let me, before we leave this, let me just tell you this. What I just found interesting, while you were telling that story and I was listening and reading this, all right, the original earthquake occurred on December the 16th, 1811, and it had a magnitude of seven, somewhere between seven and a half to eight. That's the original earthquake. But within um, six hours, there was an aftershock of seven and a half. And wow. it continued on all the For way weeks. up until into February. There were overnight there was a guy that wrote, that wrote a book that was sailing on the Mississippi when this happened. There were thirty four aftershocks during the night, the largest being that seven and a half. But there were aftershocks all the way up through February that were above seven on the Richter scale. That you know, once you get past. You know, six and a half, you can do some pretty big damage. Oh, yeah. No doubt about it. And that's why it was formed. That's why when you ask, I said it was formed in the earthquakes of 1811 and 1812. Because it wasn't just one event. It was an absolute... uh, It was an absolute um, series of events. Here we go, Legend of Real Foot Lake. The lake is named for a club-footed Indian chief of the Chickasaw tribe. The chief is blamed in legend for the earthquake that caused the lake because Chief Real Foot was in love with an Indian maiden who lived with a tribe further south along the Mississippi River. She repulsed his offer of marriage because of Real Foot's club foot. Well, that's a... Actually, uh, I believe it was her father in the true stories that are told. But, yep, there you go. Anyway, guys... I hope we haven't bored you out there. Man, if you want some interesting reading, if you like history, check out the history of Real Foot Lake. Lots and lots of uh, stuff there. I'm glad we we got off on this, man. I mean, it was some good stuff. The stuff that... i got to ask you this before we go, because I'm one of those, you know, want-to-know people. So, earthquakes, do you feel them every once in a while, being that close to the New Madrid Fault? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've had dishes broken in my house a couple of times. Most of the time, I'll hear about it on the radio, and I won't even notice it. You know, I mean, you know, but occasionally, here's the thing about most of these little tremors. They occur for a few seconds, and, you know, if it occurs during the night and you're laying in bed, you know, you may not even, you may not even, know what that it occurred but of the few that i've known oh shoot we just had a tremor you know it's like have you ever been anybody's house that lived uh, next to a train track and or seen on tv somebody living next to a train track and when the train had come through the dishes would start to rattle in the cabinets and yeah i I can that's what it's like i can remember one summer day when I was a kid at my grandparents' house, and we had the windows open, spring day, we'd been working in the garden, it was getting hot, we were in the house, my grandmother, you know, she fixed three meals a day every day, and I don't know how that woman found time to cook three times a day, but she did, and uh, we're sitting at the kitchen table at lunchtime, windows open, no air conditioner running, it's quiet in the house, my granddaddy's reading the paper. I'm eating a bologna sandwich. 
when all of a sudden the house began to shake and the dishes began to rattle in the cabinet and I looked at the table and the salt and pepper shakers were dancing across the table. And my grandmother ran over and threw her hand uh, against the uh, two cabinet doors where her fine china was. And for about 15 seconds, this went on. Nobody freaked out. No big deal. You know, and then it was done. And when it was done, my grandfather, my grandmother, she wiped the sweat off of her brow and let out a big sigh of relief because her fine china hadn't fallen on the floor and broken. And I think there was a, a platter where she'd sliced some fresh tomatoes that uh, uh, fell on the tile floor there in the kitchen and broke, and that was the only casualty. So that's that, the that biggest one, you. That's the biggest one you remember. That one stands out more than any I can ever remember. I know there was one that we didn't know what happened. Heard about it on the radio, and when we came in to the house, and this has been since I've been married, uh, some of the pictures on the wall were crooked, and I think there was something like a vase had fallen in the floor and broke that my wife had had flowers in. But I didn't even know what happened. Knew it because of the radio and then saw evidence when we walked in the house. But driving down the road, apparently, when it occurred, we never felt it in the car. Oh. All right. Well, look, we didn't. We have run way past, and I, I hate that we weren't able to to get to dogs today. So, I apologize hey, well, for asking so many questions. No, oh, man, it's been a great one. I, I hope I haven't bored people out there rambling on. I could talk about this lake. I love it. It's a beautiful place. Um, go to our Facebook page, Rocky. Find on YouTube Pirates of Real Foot one of those videos you were talking about, if you don't mind, and throw it up on our Facebook page. Can you do that? Yeah, I will. Guys, check it out. Some funny stuff there. I'll try to have more for you. Look, next go round, we're going to talk a little bit about dogs. We're coming into the heat of summer. We talked about it last August in the podcast. I think it's time to revisit it. Uh, the two biggest dangers. For you guys out there getting your dog in shape and working them, heat exhaustion and snakes. I'm going to talk a little bit about both of those things, about overheating and about snake bites on the next go-round. I think, Rocky, you've got a guest for us uh, coming up. And uh, you know, some more neat stuff. We're also going to get with another guide or two around the country and talk about some of those dream destinations. Uh, so be sure... I think we covered that today, talking about Real Foot Lake and the history of Real Foot Lake and the duck hunting on Real Foot Lake. You know, I think that sometimes your your ADHD, and I don't even know if you're ADHD, but you're a little bit more hyper than the rest of us. I think sometimes you get worried because, I'm going to tell you, most of the people that listen to this, the mystique of everything that you just talked about earlier, man, it, it is awesome to listen to because <laughs> it concerns with duck hunting. Well, it's a big thing. I think you did a great job of covering Real Foot Lake concerning duck hunting today. Well, thank you. By the way, anybody that wants to go, we haven't had any guides from there because there are a lot of good ones. And, and uh, man, I'm going to name two or three right now that you ought to check out because it is neat. Ronnie Capps. Uh, 
Uh, Ronnie's got a really neat blind there on the lake. He also hunts on the river. Um, um, Marky Pierce, uh, that whole family, his, his father, his grandfather, his grandmother, Miss Bonnie, was a hunter on the lake. Check out uh, Mark Pierce, his guide service there. Mike Atkins, Birdies Bayou. Uh, man, Mike, and Mike's got a neat, neat place up there. Um, the Hamilton family, my buddy Shane Hamilton and his family ha- have a neat guide service up there. So if you want to do something different, now look, man, it can be hit or miss. You know, if you go to the lake, don't be disappointed if you don't kill a bunch of ducks because a lot of times it's about the experience. And, uh, you know, you can have a great time spending a day on the lake even if you only kill one or two ducks. But it's definitely something that if you love an area that is steeped in hunting tradition, real foot is worth checking out. Don't get me wrong, there are days that they really, really do kill the heck out of them. But if you're only about killing, probably not the destination for you. If you want to go to an area that is steeped in tradition, and I'll give you another fact, blow your mind. Victor Gluto, father of the modern-day duck call. Everybody from Echo to Rich and Tone uh, to our buddies there around you that build their own calls, the modern-day duck call is is modeled off of Victor Gluto's original metal reed design. Where did he hunt? Real Foot Lake. So a lot of people say that Real Foot is the birthplace of the modern duck call. Do you remember a couple of those titles before we go of of duck hunting and history of duck hunting on Real Foot Lake? Oh, man, no, I don't. I, I'll take a look so you can put it on the website. There are two or three really, really good books about the history of Real Foot Lake. Um, let me put on my glasses to take a look here. The Night Riders of Real Foot Lake. You need to uh, need to check. Here we right, go. We're, I, we're, uh, we can do it next time. I just didn't know if you knew a couple of them off the top of your head. You know, I I, I don't. I, I wish I did. But um, wow, there was a news story about the Night Riders of Real Foot Lake. In ESPN Outdoors, Jackie Van Cleve, um, another guide there on the lake, been guiding for over almost 40 years now. Um, Jackie could tell you a whole lot about them. By the way, the Night Riders, um, a lot of people call them vigilantes, but a lot of people also give them credit for saving the lake from people that wanted to drain it and cut it and develop it. And uh, a lot of people fought really, really, really hard um, and, and have still continued to fight to this day uh, preserve the lake the way that it is. I'll, I'll find them and get them up. But Good stuff today, Jay Paul. Man, I hope everybody enjoyed it. I really do. I, I tell you, I've enjoyed talking about some of this history and I'll try to get you guys some pictures for the website. Next go-round, we're going to uh, talk dogs a little bit, 
talk about heat and snakes, also talk about some other hunting destinations. And I know, Rocky, you're probably going to have something to make us laugh. So uh, until the next go around, I hope everybody out there has enjoyed this edition of the On The X podcast powered by DuckSouth.com.